Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Everybody, Tom Block and Keith Jones with you. We welcome you to Front Row Knowles. It is a Sunday morning as KJ and I are talking, so this is not a in the heat of the moment immediately following the game. This is AJ has had all night to calm down, so we can have a rational discussion uh, today. How are you, sir? I'm good. I I, I didn't check it. Uh, is G A W D an actual English word? Because I believe that's what I texted you at the end of the ball game last night. God awful. Yeah. <laughs> Whether it's an actual word or not, I knew uh, and felt uh, exactly what you were trying to express. So. We can go through, uh, we'll have a good conversation about this one, KJ. All the things that uh, normally come up, I think, apply here. And I'll start with the one that we get tired of talking about, but it's a, it's it's true every time they play at Wake Forest. It's true when they play at places like BC. It was a 12 noon game with a hurricane that was off the coast, dreary skies, There's nobody in the stands. The game kicks off. There's more FSU fans than Boston College fans, small atmosphere. The band has 70 members instead of 400 members. Everything about it feels smaller time or lesser impressive than when FSU plays at home. Not an excuse. We say this every time, but the kids are new. They haven't done it. Psychologically, it plays in. I'll, I'll start there because starts are something that we need to discuss because Florida State has not been starting great. That's all kind of the backdrop to it at least in my opinion, when you get there, compared to when you play this week at Clemson and you don't have to manufacture any atmosphere because it's there. And to further that point, you know that you're going to Clemson the next game and you're just trying to survive this one. Again, not an excuse, but it certainly plays into it. And and again, you know, one of the things that this squad, this, this 2023 squad doesn't have the benefit of that the uh, the, the dynasty squads had or the 13 squad had is um, the history of having been in these games and won them. See, this squad has a history of having been in these games, although we got a lot of transfers, a lot of folks that are new. But as a program, uh, this is a program that two years ago, Tommy, loses this game by four touchdowns. I made a note before we started this conversation, KJ, of exactly what you're referring to. And I remember it back in the 2012 season when Florida State went 12-2. and two. It was the year EJ started. And people were not happy because of the NC State debacle on the road and losing it home to Florida. And Jimbo made a big point about the fact that that team won an ACC championship and an Orange Bowl championship, and that mattered. And it was kind of scoffed at because people thought, oh, that should have been a national championship team. Who cares if we beat Northern Illinois or whoever it was in the Orange Bowl, right? But if you look at this team, what has this team won, Keith? We've, we've we've improved the record, but it's like we've missed a step or two. We went from hopefully Florida State doesn't go 0-2 in September in their biggest games to they beat LSU, so now go ahead and buy your tickets for Houston in the national championship game. I mean, there's a lot of steps in there that have just gotten glossed over. I'm talking about by the fans and just you get caught up in the hoopla. I'm not saying the team is that way, but I am saying that that winning and taking these steps matters. Well, and I think you made a really good point. The fan base can remember 2013 and 2012. You know, the fan base is not absolutely new. We we see that garnet and gold. We see that team on the field, and we project what we remember 10 years ago and 20 years ago or however long we've been fans of the program. That's not that team. It's got the same colors, but it's completely different players. Now, again, back to your earlier comment, that is not an excuse. This team has a lot of uh, improvements to make. Uh, this team has got a lot that the coaching staff can focus in on, and, and I suspect, in fact, I predict, uh, will have the kids' attention. Uh, you know, nobody, when you play in a game like this, nobody wants to talk about it. So when you get it brought back up and pointed out and you did this and you didn't do that, it really hits home. So um, in many respects, I mean, how many times have we said this? This might be the best thing that happened to this this squad. You won't know till the end of the year. No, you won't know. And you'd always rather 
you never apologize for a win, as we like to right. say. Right. Never apologize for a win. If this was last year, this was the NC State game, they lost. But they didn't lose it. They won it. And we remember after that middle of the season stretch last year when they lost three in a row, they did right the ship. Now, some of it had to do with opponent, but it's also when Jordan started playing his best football. And we'll, we'll get to Jordan. I just want to finish sort of the things that are – they're not excuses, but they're out there. Red bandana game, you get the opponent's best shot. That goes with having to go through this and, and mature. You're always going to get the team's best shot. What's interesting about this game, Keith, I actually felt like, despite Florida State's struggles, I felt like they weathered that storm, got the ship back on course before halftime, and then were about to sail away with the game early in the third quarter. And I say that because the game reminded me of the old Paul Johnson Georgia Tech offenses where the possessions were really limited. Florida State didn't touch the football for the second time until it was already in the second quarter. And they were losing 10-3 at that point. So there was a lot of game pressure on them. Then you start doing the math and you're thinking, this is only the second drive. We're already down a touchdown. But they went and tied it. They got a stop. They went and took the lead. Then they actually got the ball back with a minute and change left before halftime. And I hated that sequence because I really feel like they could have gotten more points and gotten to a two-score lead at halftime. But regardless, they reeled off 28 straight points, got the 31-10, so they had they had overcome a poor start. They had overcome BC's best shot. And then they just – and they had the ball, by the way. They weren't just up 31-10. They had the ball at midfield first and 10. I mean, or for their own 47, I think. So, I mean, they were this close to that game being 52-16. to 16, But they left the door open. And then as the comeback started, you could, you could feel the pressure on the sideline. They got tight. Offensively, they couldn't get a first down. Everybody started overthinking, and, and you got to go through that. And ultimately, they did get the win. I know that's a, a long statement I just made there, but it, I thought they had turned the corner, and then they had. Well, two things that are a component of that. Number one, throw in a, a defensive touchdown when when Toa Feely lost the ball and they run it in. So that's that's gimme points. You, the offense didn't earn that. And then, you know, you can't replicate. Second point is you can't replicate that type of pressure in practice. That's that you only get that in a game. And whether it's at BC or whether it's at Ohio State, you know, you only get that in a game. And and you know, games count. And you could have very easily stubbed your toe and let this one get away from you. Uh, but you found a way to win it. Uh, and again, that that is a learning experience that uh, you know only comes through, you know, live fire. You, you don't get to do that on the practice range. Yeah, and that's why going back to the game pressure thing, the, the game pressure, they started to wilt in the second half, but it felt like the game pressure was equally as strong in the first half because of the limited possessions. And yet they didn't panic. They went down. That's why I felt okay about it. Uh, because their their third possession of the first half, Keith, there was four minutes and change left until halftime. It's the third time they're touching the football. They still went down and scored a touchdown. So, uh, all right, let, let's get into more specifics. Do you want to start with the defense or the offense? Let's start with the offense. Um, you know, I, I thought Jordan was very methodical and very um, – um, he was executing good enough in the first half. Uh, I don't know what happened in the second half. He missed a couple of throws. Um, you know, everybody's going to question, why did we call this? Why did we call that? That's part of the game. Um, but I, I, I would like to have had a conversation with, with Travis right after the ball game um, and, and, and asked him, you know, what, what, where are you right now? What are you thinking about? Um, and, and, and get his feel on things because he's always very perceptive of what's going on. Uh, he did not look himself, my opinion, did not look himself. Obviously, he had the stinger, that left shoulder. Maybe that's the reason, but he did not look himself in the second half. Well, with the first two drives they scored, and he looked okay there. Exactly. Excuse me, exactly. Is that there, my I, I think, to me, it's an offensive identity issue. I don't want to say crisis because you got a lot of good parts and they can fix this. I think they got to figure out who they are and who they want to be offensively. And I, you mentioned Jordan, so I can start there. He has such confidence in these 50-50 balls that he throws a ton of them. 
But those are not high percentage throws. And on third and three, a 50-50 ball or a back shoulder fade, that's not your best option there. And there's a lot of intermediate underneath seam routes that are there. And I don't know if Jordan is not seeing them or if they're really being pretty vanilla and they haven't showed a lot of that yet because it's going to come out this week. But that's sort of the passing game. And we talked about it last week with all those 50-50 throws. I mean, there's a lot of other weapons and a lot of other ways to complete the football. But the second thing I was going to say, Keith, they're not running the football the way they did last year. And I think this is where Treshawn Ward, of all the guys who left, is really missed because when there was much of a hole, he would still hit whatever was there, and he would get you three more yards than what Trey Benson gets in that same scenario. Trey Benson will get you more if he gets if there is a hole and he gets through it. But when there's not, he's dancing, and, and, and it's a huge difference if you get three yards on a run compared to five yards. That sounds obvious, but when Florida State couldn't get a first down at the end of the game, it's because they can't run the football right now, and that concerns me. Well, in the next stop, next step of that, Tommy, uh, is the the bubble screens and the rollouts and the counters where you bring the backside tight end or the backside slot receiver all the way across, sometimes even behind the line of scrimmage. That's a running play. You know, you see offenses do that every Saturday. That's a running play. Florida State has not run those types of plays. They've put Travis in the shotgun. And he's faked the running play. And then he's taken a couple of steps. And as you've mentioned, he's throwing those 50-50 balls. That's a, that's a play calling difference. And, and I'm with you. I'm hopeful that it's because Florida State is still not wanting to show things. But FSU has not been able to take those uh, other than 50-50 passes, 50-50 balls, and turn those into what would be the equivalent of running plays in short yardage situations. Uh, you know, I think that's a step that this team can definitely take. We'll see this week. Are they being vanilla? Have they kept a lot? You know, they don't want to put it out on tape. I think it's it's probably a combination of things, but I think there's truth to that. I mean, we have not seen what this full playbook can look like. We saw in the second half against LSU, Keith, I, I don't know that they wanted to go there, but they went to a two-back formation mm-hmm. with Jaheim right. Bell, and they successfully ran counter. And they got six or seven yards of pop. Now, if you do that, uh, and, and as I understand it, uh, when, when you look at it, the way you have to stop that if you're the opponent, you got to bring your safeties up, and basically you're playing zero coverage or, or man. So that's a roll of the dice if you're going to get stuck in man with no help over the top and you got Keon and Johnny outside. So maybe we see that coming up this week, and that's how Florida State – the Florida State did have success running counter last year against Clemson. I remember that. Um, but that that to me is something that they've got to fix. And regardless of, of the play call, what do you think about which running back should be in there? Benson is is the big name. But Rodney Hill, I think, runs the ball better right now. Right in some now. situations. Right now. It would not surprise me. You know how you know how uh, Coach Norvell and his staff is. It would not surprise me that at the end of the year, they said, well, you know, you know, Trey twisted his ankle in the second half of the LSU game. And he really hasn't, he really wasn't himself. I don't think he's running. I think there's, there's an issue there that, that no one wants to talk about appropriately. They don't want to talk about, but tr- to my, to my mind, Benson is not running as well as he did last year. I'm not, I'm not saying he's not given effort. I'm just saying it doesn't look the same. So I don't See, know if I'm, I'm not sure if I'm ready to go to Hill, but I agree with you. He looks like he's running harder, does Hill? See, I think Benson actually looks better when there's a hole. Like last week against Southern Miss, he squirts through even the touchdown he had against BC. If there's something there and he gets that two steps to get his body going, and then he's tough to bring down. But when there's not as big a hole, and 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 to be fair, let's not put this on just the OL isn't creating holes. There's there's time when there's there's times when there's holes. And the running backs are are not making the right read or are not getting to the hole. Um, but when he feels bottled up, he's kind of dancing, and that's not him going side to side is not what you want. Yeah, and you make the point I I failed to make. It, it did look like even even you know with Toa Feely, that there's too much hesitation. You know, uh, they talk about the fact that a punt returner 
you know, needs to have some wiggle and needs to be able to stop and start and that type of thing. But if you're a kickoff returner, you make one cut and you go. And yeah. in this offense, running backs need to make one cut and go. And, and you're right. There was too much dancing at the line of scrimmage, too much dancing in the hole. Now that's being hypercritical. Uh, so I apologize for that, but you know, we, we need to get back to slashing at the running back position. So, and I do think they have a lot of good pieces there. They just got to figure it out. And I don't know that Toa Feely's the answer either. Toa Feely may be what he's been, which is a guy that's a mismatch for linebackers or safeties, and you get the wheel round, but he's not a guy that you're going to give the ball to 16 times a game. That probably needs to be Rodney Hill, and Benson probably need to split those carries just the way Benson and Treshawn Ward split them uh, in years prior. Should point out the offensive line was without Maurice Smith and Robert Scott, and I, I don't believe they were on the trip, and I don't know their status of return. My hunch is Maurice Smith will probably be back for Clemson. I don't know that 100%. Just throwing out this disclaimer, even though you got veterans that you're putting in in place, particularly at the center position, uh, on a day that could have been a wet, sloppy day, it wasn't. Missing missing Maurice is not insignificant there on, on the offensive line. Let's talk about the passing game, though, Keith. <clears throat> What's your thought on the, I call them 50-50 balls, but we haven't seen slants. We haven't, we're not seeing much in the middle of the field. We're not seeing much that's six-yard throws, eight-yard throws. We're seeing sideline, receiver, and DB, and go get the football. That, that's what a lot of these throws are. I, I hope, I'm hopeful that that is by design and that we'll start seeing that interior passing game against Clemson. Well, you're right. We haven't seen the slants. We haven't seen the old-fashioned square ends. We haven't even seen the tight end verticals that we know that this Norvell and Atkins offense loves to use. So I'm going to I'm going to err and, and side on the fact that it's a it's an intentional play calling decision. Um, but another part of it is we're all human. You got six seven on one side, six four on the other. You know. It's a 50, it's called a 50-50 ball for a reason. And and you got those kind of guys, we kind of fall into that. I mean, if I'm a good three-point shooter on the basketball court, you know, I'm not going to hit 50, 55% of my three-pointers. I'm going to hit 30, 35%. If I can drive to the basket, you know, I can get 60 or 70% and maybe even go to the line. But it's a lot easier to shoot threes than it is to drive and get beat up in the lane. So you know, there's an aspect of play calling. There's probably an aspect of uh, human nature. Um, but I do agree with you what I perceive you're saying. I do agree with you. We're, we're, we're relying on the 50-50 ball too much. We need to go back to some more uh, types, traditional type of things. Yeah, I, I guess I, I feel this way about it. I feel if Florida State gets a little more balance offensively, the home run, I'll call them home run, the 50-50 opportunities will be there. When it's third and eight, that's or third and three, especially the 50 50 ball is a big shoulder fade 15, 17 yards downfield on third and three. And now, another thing that we haven't seen, and I don't know how Jordan's shoulder may or may not play into this, but even last year, Jordan really isn't part of the running game offensively, except for a couple big games when they pull him out and let him run. And Clemson was one of them, he had a touch, a running touchdown last year against Clemson. So is that something that comes back in the offense this week? I would think yes, if his shoulder says so. But that that opens up the offense a little bit, too. I, I just think there's a lot more there. I'll, I'll, we'll finish up on this, Keith. The, the first time it was a possession snap, it might have been a fourth down. If not, it was third and long. But it was it was one of these balls that Johnny Wilson caught on the sideline and then got a toe down, and so they converted and kept possession. Well, I was standing, I happened to be standing right in line. Generally on the sideline, you stand kind of 15 or 20 yards ahead of the offense. And when Travis threw that ball, I thought he missed him by six yards out of bounds. And Wilson breaks off his route and takes a step to the sideline. And with his eight and a half foot reach and then jumps, it was a perfect throw when he got the, but it took a lot to be that perfect and that fine on that kind of throw. Well, there's no question, and and even the commentators in the national broadcast, you know, one of them volunteered that from from freshman to now sixth year senior, there's probably not another player in America that's made more development than than Jordan Travis. 
and and that is just an example of what he can now do. It, it, it's still a low percent. I mean, it's higher percentage if you have Keon and Johnny, but it's still low percentage compared to finding somebody that's open for a little four-yard route when that, you need That's three a yards. much better call on first and 10 than it is on th third and three. Yeah. Uh, one more thing about the, the uh, offense, Keith. I, I have not gone back and watched the TV copy yet. Uh, and I'll let you elaborate on this. But the way it works in college football is if the offense substitutes, the officials hold up play so that the defense can counter and substitute. And what Boston College was doing, FSU might change one person. They might switch out the running back. And now BC is changing out a DB for a linebacker. But then they do a second substitution while the official is still holding the football. And now they bring out a wave of four defensive linemen. And by the time the official would step back from the ball, the play clock had less than 10 seconds on it. And so there's less time for Jordan and the offense to now call an audible. And it also was just running time off the clock. It was very intentional. It's smart. It's within the rules, but it was smart no the way they executed it. And it limited Florida State to 58 offensive snaps. Now, I know BC had some pretty extended drives, and we're going to get to the defense here in just a second. But FSU had 58 snaps. BC had 75 snaps. And again, I'm with you. It's a little bit dangerous because when you run three or four people in on that second wave, as soon as they get, you know, on your side of the ball, the the uh, the, um, the 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 what they call him, the center judge now, whatever that second guy in the backfield is called, he gets out of there. You can get right into it. And you can go quick count before those defensive uh, people get set. The problem is if you're if you're trying to read where they're going, you got to wait till they get there. And then, as you say, make a decision whether you want an audible. And, and by this time, you're either rushed or you don't have enough time. But credit BC for taking advantage of the rule because it is perfectly legal. We are not any way, shape, form, or fashion say, saying that something should be changed. Schematically, it needs to be changed at the end of the year, maybe. Well, here's the other thing you can do, Keith. If you're the offense and you know what Florida State's preferred 11 is out there, which is Keon and Johnny and two tight ends and Trey in the backfield, or maybe you're going to tell a feeling. You to sub, you can keep your same 11 out there and say, okay, we're going again. We're not giving you a chance to sub, and right. you can go the other way and hurry it up. And they, they opted not to do that, but there is a way to get around that. No question. No question. So, all right, let, let's talk defense, Keith. And, and I don't know if this goes to uh, – you texted me before your god-awful text. You – or maybe it was the same one, but you referenced a slow start again. And the defense was on the field first, so I guess that's where you're going with this. But honestly, we can pick pretty much any possession, save for maybe the last one before halftime and the first two of the second half, and we can find fault with what happened defensively. Well, and the fault is, is defensively, uh, but it's also uh, a little young and by the name of Thomas Constellanos. Because let me tell you what happens when you've got a quarterback you've not seen before and he burns you early as he did with his feet. You do not. I don't care who I don't care what I don't care what verse would say to me to my face or, or, or what what Coach Adam would say to me to my face. You take a little off your rush because you, 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 you just don't want him running around clean like he was. Uh, and that poses a huge problem for defenses. Now, he was not polished. Uh, you know, this was his second start of his career. Uh, it much was made by the media during the week that he was a big target for Florida State from a recruiting standpoint. He's from Georgia, uh, is Thomas uh, Castellanos. Um, but he was the difference maker. I'm not saying there are not issues that uh, this defense has to work on. But that type of talent that you've not seen before, you may have prepared for it, but you've not actually seen much tape of it, that is a huge, huge issue to try to do in-game adjustments on. Well, they recruited him as an athlete, so they right. knew he was talented. Right. When I say they, that's the coaching staff. Uh, this goes back to the sleepy stadium factor, but when you're playing a team that's one and one and should have lost the Holy Cross, how much tape do you really want to show Boston College playing Holy Cross? Because the team, the players know 
well, that's Holy Cross, and they they barely won. They should have lost that football game. So right. on the one hand, you got to show them the scheme and who the guy is. On the other hand, mentally, it's getting in the back of their head that, oh, we're going to stomp these guys, right? Let me ask you this then, Keith. <clears throat> to your point, and that's true, and we've seen this, Florida State, it, it's almost like they ask their pass rushers to go at 75%, so they're still holding the edge, and they can try to contain – but if you're doing that, you're not rushing and affecting the quarterback, but you're also not really stopping him from running. So you kind of get in this no man's land. It's horrible. And the other thing you do is you play a lot of zone. Those bust and coverages were not necessarily bust and coverages. They were kids playing zone because you don't want your defensive backs turning your back to him. Because if he does get past the rush, he's going to outrun a linebacker and you don't know where he's going. I think also, Tommy, and again, this falls into the realm where folks can say, well, old Block and Jones, they're just making excuses. But I, I would question how big a loss it was not having a keen dent back there because, because those safeties are very talented and they've played very well, but they're young. They're young. And Akeem always has impressed me with being you know, more of the, the, the uh, choreographer back there and making sure that he reminds the youngsters of what to do and how to do it and that type of thing. So I just question, again, that falls into the excuse, and you can't make excuses. I get that. Uh, but I do wonder how big a, how big a factor that might have been. No, I, I think it was significant. And so to be fair, we all knew that the one position on the team that lacked the most depth, at least in terms of experience depth, was safety. And then we felt better about it. And I do feel better about it long term. The freshmen they brought in can play. but They're very talented. Yeah, they're very talented, but you got to you got to go through some growing pains. I thought Kevin Knowles had a really rough day, and uh, to your point, were they missed assignments? I'm sure there were some missed assignments. Uh, some of it was the quarterback bought time, and you can only cover for so long. I thought Kevin Knowles had some what Jimbo would term eye violations. He he got caught with his eyes trying to follow the football, and there's something that he's supposed to pick up, and and now he's late getting. Did you? So that's not the corner and the safety aren't on the same page. That's one guy doesn't have eye discipline and I'm putting it on Kevin. I'd have to, when you're on the field, it's hard to know this. Uh, I'd have to go back and watch the tape and I haven't done that yet, but it felt that way for a few of the plays, especially in the first half. One of the things you've heard me preach, our listeners have heard me preach. I'm the old guy that sounds like the broken record. When you play zone, it's thousand one, thousand two, find somebody. And they stayed in zone to 1,004, 1,005. And so you're backpedaling or throttled down and somebody's running across your face. You can't get to them. And, and learning to do that. Now, if Florida State, if, if Coach Adam uh, had, had, you know, if Coach Fuller had made the decision to, to pressure and to go to man coverage, we probably would have looked better. But then you're rolling the dice of giving up those home run plays. Uh, not just the gash plays. And so you'd have to ask. I'm sure somebody will. But it appeared that they said, look, we're not going to let them beat us with, with home runs. We're gonna, if they're going to beat us, they're going to have to beat us with gash plays. So we're going to throttle the rush. Uh, I don't think that they blitzed some in the second half. They had a couple of corner blitzes. I think uh, one of the corners actually was credited with a sack. Again, that's a roll of the dice when you've got a quarterback that's that mobile. So they played it conservatively from a, from a schematic standpoint. The kids didn't play real well in zone. Uh, and I will tell you off the record, off the record, Tommy, these kids would rather be in man-to-man -man coverage every freaking snap. That's just the way, that's the way the day's society is. You know, put me out there on that island. Let me go one-on-one. -on -one. I know I can do it. Um, and, you know, you can lose some ball games that way too. But they don't play zone terribly well. They got a, they've really got some improvement to make there. So I would, I was going to ask you about the decision to pressure or not pressure. He's quarterback in his second career start, and you know athletically you're better position by position than Boston College across the board. Why would you not roll the dice? See, I get in the NFL – you have a 15-year track record that, you know, if you blitz Tom Brady, he's going to find the hot route and he's going to complete it, right? But a guy making his second start in college, why would you not speed up his decision-making as much as possible and send pressure all the time and take the chance that whoever the wide receiver is for BC, 
he's not as good as all ACC Fentrell Cypress for Florida State. Well, what you're forgetting is what if you don't get to the quarterback and now you got him in the open field? And this is a running back playing quarterback. Remember, we used to say that about Jordan Travis. In fact, where did Jordan Travis make his initial mark in Florida State's program? Running the football at Boston College four years ago. You, you, you're right. Throwing the ball, uh, Castellanos probably won't beat you. But if you lose contain, if he finds something up the middle, he's going to burn you with his legs because he's not a mobile quarterback. He's a running back that's learning to throw the, the, the football. That's why you don't do it. Now, should you mix it up? Yeah, and they did that in the second half, and they had a little success with it. But, Tommy, that's, that's a roll of the dice. I, I know you know that. Um, you know, if, if Florida State loses that game because they blitz 50% of the time, we'd be faulting the coaching staff, not the players. Right. Why didn't you? Well, hindsight is always 20 20. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Call the touchdown play, call the stop them. Uh, uh, what was infuriating about this game, Keith, is it wasn't that they were converting third and fours, they were converting third and 17s. I mean, third and, and two bus stops, third and run the T in Boston. You know, that, I mean, it was crazy the, the, the yardage. And um, I, I think that was the part that felt backbreaking. Well, not to disagree with you, that was certainly frustrating. But to me, the part that was backbreaking is they were four or five on fourth down. You know, they'd be third and 17, they'd get 15, and now it's fourth and two, and they'd find a way to convert that as well. Um, and in like, like fashion, FSU was only two of 10 on third downs. You know, Florida State had been converting third downs at a, at a 40 or 50% clip, and they were not able to do that uh, in this game against BC. Yeah, well, and I looked that up. Let me pull those numbers up. Uh, I don't have last year's in front of me, Keith, but I feel like Florida State converted third downs around it – was, it was north of 50%. It might have been 53% last year, something like that. And this year they're at 43%, and that's coming off an abysmal game yesterday. And so that, that goes back to what we were talking about offensively, about running the football better, higher percentage throws instead of lower percentage – that honestly is why they've beaten LSU two years in a row is because of possession snaps on third down and what Jordan and the offense have done, but we haven't seen it the last two weeks. It's two weeks in a row where they've been really bad on third down. Now against Southern Miss, they made up for it by being good on fourth down, but that's not typical for Norvell as this team has gotten going or Jordan Travis. And that's what that that's goes back to the first part of our conversation. Well, and, and the very beginning of that, if you, if you use the old insurance term proximate cause, I bet if you go back and looked at Florida State's success on first down this year as opposed to last year, last year was a lot more productive on first down. I personally have not looked that up, but that would be my guess. Well, that's usually the way it is. If you, you know, if you get five yards on first down, so there there was one scenario in the game. I, it might have been uh, when it was 10-10 in the second quarter, but Florida State had I think there, I can't remember if there was a penalty or what the reason was, or maybe it was just a good play, but they were at second and one at like the 11 or the 15 yard line. I'm thinking second and one, if you're this FSU off, I mean, Mike Norvell can turn to any page in the playbook on any coach can on second and one, but they're not getting to second and one a whole lot is your point. Right. They're getting to second and eight. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, you know, again, we're, we're focused, if you will, on the defensive side and we've kind of muttered back to the offense, but, you know, I, I raised the question with you on our, on our Wednesday show. Uh, should we be concerned because uh, people like Verse are not putting up numbers? And, and, you know, I think your answer revolved around the, the, the fact that the NFL knows what he can do and whether he puts up numbers or not, you know, in terms of him being drafted and him getting to the next level. But, but, but now that I've refined my conversation, is this defense – because they're not able to get sacks the way we expect them to, is that really beginning to show up as a weakness? Yeah, I don't know. I still think, I mean, the interception that occurred that DJ Lundy got, it wasn't a blitz, but Peyton and Verse both met at the quarterback. And I don't know how the kid got up right after that because he got hit low and high and bent multiple directions and it was an interception. So there are plays where they're creating an impact, uh, but you're right. Um, the pressure is not what we thought it would be. 
And so I don't I don't know where the, you know Verse is getting double teamed a lot and he's getting chipped a lot and those those sorts of things. But uh, I think he'll have a chance against Klubnik this week, though though Clemson will have a plan for him. I don't know. It's hard to fathom that we've gone three games and Verse doesn't have a sack though, or maybe well, he got that, a half sack yesterday. Yeah. And that's simply my point. And I'm not I'm not saying that as a as a criticism of of Verse. It's just does that does that point to something that maybe needs some attention given to it? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, we're three games in. We came into the season saying let's at least go one and one in the two big games. And you win the first one, so you want to go two and oh in those two big games. Right. And now it's Clemson right. week and Clemson has been playing better. I actually like from a psychological point of view, I like the fact that the pendulum will shift back this week to Florida State struggling. Clemson has found its footing, and uh, regardless of what it was psychologically, it still is going to be tough to win at Clemson, but I do like the fact that I think the spotlight is going to move a little more to Clemson and sort of Dabo's last stand and that sort of talk this week. And again, remember, you're dealing with 18 to 22-year-olds, and so the last time out, they did not play well, and 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 the coaches will harp on them, although you'll, they'll never admit this, but they will harp on them. Look, we were fortunate to get out of there. We cannot start the Clemson game. We cannot play 60 minutes in Clemson like we began the BC game and played 60 minutes in, in, in Chestnut Hill and expect to win. And, and now you've got their attention. I go back to the, you know, a lot of fans, uh, sometimes myself included, we talk about, you know, the kids being excited to play and, and enthusiasm and all that rah-rah stuff, that only lasts a couple of plays. It only lasts a couple of plays. What really lasts is you knowing that if you don't play your best and if you're not focused and if you're not given all of your effort, you can lose the ball game. Well, you walk out on, on, the, on the field at BC and those three things are not present because as you mentioned, you're, you're superior in talent, uh, you're faster, uh, you're, you're schematically better. I mean, BC's known for running the ball and controlling the clock, and that's exactly what they did. Um, you know, we didn't talk about it, but Florida State's defensive line, interior defensive line, uh, kind of got, got handled. They didn't get manhandled, but they got handled because that BC offensive line, that's, that's something that, the, that uh, the Eagles have been known for for years. They're big. They're methodical. They're strong. Um, you know, and, and they, they, BC, took advantage of that. Well, it, it's going to be another type of, you know, offensive line like that with, with, with Clemson. But the biggest thing, Tommy, and we'll talk about this more on our Wednesday show, Clemson has not thrown the ball well. They threw it better yesterday, but they have not thrown the ball well. So it's going to be interesting to see how Florida State dials up to their strengths, stay, you know, staying away from their weaknesses, and, and, and what's done from a play calling on the defensive side of the ball happens. Uh, up in Death Valley. Can I tell you one more thing that was a little disconcerting, but uh, it's over now from the BC game, Keith. Uh, the the squib kick, and not not how Trey Benson handled it. We all know he should have just fallen on the football. But BC lined up to kick. The kicker is using a different tee for an onside kick compared to the regular kick. It was a different color. He tees up the ball completely sideways. It's obvious that it's going to be an onside kick. And yet none of the 11 guys on the field for FSU, which was not the hands team at the time, looked over to the sideline. Nobody called a timeout. The wind blew the ball off the tee. He tees it up again, and that's when FSU called the timeout to get the hands team out there. It just seemed a little alarming. It was pretty obvious to everybody in the stadium what was going on, and it felt like it took a long time to call the timeout. And maybe I'm uh, exaggerating things a little bit. Before they called the timeout, got the hands team out there, didn't execute, but at least had the right group out there. Tommy, the television had a narrow shot on the ball, on the tee, sitting sideways. So everyone in America saw it. <laughs> You know, normally, normally on the kickoff, they're they're using the fifty yard line camera, and you're pulled back so you can see everything. They they went to an end zone shot, narrowed in, saw the ball sitting sideways on the tee. So, 
just walk me through who should be calling that time. So if it's on offense and Jordan Travis sees something he doesn't like, he's probably got the latitude to burn a timeout, although typically the timeouts come from the sideline. So if you're the guy opposite the place kicker, or if you're the captain of the special teams unit, is there somebody that has that latitude, or is this just something that the coach is upstairs, somebody on the sideline? Somebody should have gotten that word to Norvell sooner, in my opinion, to take the timeout. I'm a little fuzzy on that because I was never on the kickoff receiving team. I was always on the kickoff team, you know, back in the old age when dinosaurs were still roaming, you know, T-Rex was still in the stands cheering for Florida state. I would suspect it's the middle person on the front line that is charged with, is there anything going on here that looks, and then trying to communicate that to the sideline. But I do not know that. I do not know that. That'd be my guess. Well, and to be fair, I don't know, uh, in the heat of it, maybe the person didn't see it. Maybe they weren't communicating to the sideline, and it just finally got got called. It just seemed like we all knew what was coming, and yet the hands team wasn't out there yet. Oh. Well, while we got a break here, let me uh, dive into uh, it's time for our most interesting move of the week, which is brought to us by Prime Meridian Bank. And probably no secret here, Tommy, but I'm going to go with, all right, DJ Lundy intercepts a ball laying on his back. Florida State runs however many offensive plays they run to get to first and really close. And Coach Norvell puts DJ in and he scores a touchdown. Uh, everybody was talking, oh, what, what a great uh, call that was and everything. I had forgotten, but I believe that is touchdown number three or number four for DJ. He's been there before, but I thought it was a great move um, that, you know, given the circumstances of the interception uh, and then driving the ball down and getting it close that they gave it to him. And it was a great effort on his part, second effort to get in there. That's our most interesting move of the week. Uh, bought to us by Prime Meridian Bank, a longtime friend of the show. If you need uh, business checking, personal checking, uh, home mortgage, home equity line, um, call up our friends at Prime Meridian Bank. You can reach them uh, 907-2300, area code 850 you can visit them on the web at www.trymybank.com. Two locations in Tallahassee, one in Crawfordville, one in Lakeland. Uh, member FDIC, uh, equal housing lender. Uh, great folks. Uh, stop by and say hello and tell them that uh, Tom and KJ sent you. Prime Meridian Bank. The interesting thing about that call, KJ, that followed the long catch and run by Jaheim Bell, where I really thought he was in the end zone and had broken the plane of the goal. And so they go into the I formation and they put Bell in at tailback. And I thought it was akin to last week where Keon Johnson hurdles a guy, gets knocked out at the one, and they throw the ball to Keon to reward him the next play. So I thought, oh, look at this. They're just going to hand it to Jaheim and let him get the touchdown. And I imagine BC thought that too. And then, boom, here comes the fullback that gets in. Well, and to uh, annoy you, to for, for, for one uh, Keith Jones, to annoy one Tommy Block, on the replay, Bell got in. Both of the announcers, uh, even on this telecast, because with an ABC telecast, they had the rules expert. But they both mentioned, or the rules expert rather, mentioned that, look, he's in, but there's not definitive, you know, that indisputable video evidence, because ABC did not have a camera on the goal line, and ABC doesn't use the pylon cam. So you could see the, 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 camera was about the eight or 10 yard line. So you could see, you could perceive that the ball was across the goal line before his, it was his thigh that actually hit, but it wasn't indisputable video evidence. So they made the right call as much as that's going to annoy one Tommy block, Thomas William block. Um, but that's the reason it was for, it was a, a first down uh, because of the, the call on the field. You figured as much, Keith, because the angles they showed uh, in the stadium, it, it wasn't flush with the goal line. It was a few yards offset, and I thought, well, that's that's where this is going to stand yep. as caught on the field. And if they would have called it a touchdown on the field, they couldn't have overturned it for the same same reason. Exactly. This, uh, this is a side note, but Jaheim Bell, when he gets the football and is uh, in the same area code as the end zone, Man, he's got some fight and grit and determination to him to try and get there. It's impressive to watch. He's the well, nose for and, the end. And he's he's a, a little bit larger human being than you appreciate. So when you go to tackle him when he sniffs that end zone, 
uh, it's a little little more difficult to bring him down, as you're pointing out. He he has a nose uh, for pay dirt. There's no question. Well, uh, he got dinged late in the football game. And uh, take this for what it's worth. I mean, maybe he'll be feeling fine. Maybe he won't. But they did, uh, they did bring him to me, and I think to the media in general. But certainly I interviewed him on the radio network. And typically if somebody's pretty dinged and needs treatment from the trainers, they're not going to make him available and bring him for a post-game interview. So read into that as you will as we go into Clemson week. Well, maybe more importantly, did, did they make uh, Jordan Travis available to the media after the game? Because what I worry about, particularly with quarterbacks, you get that stinger. You know, it was his, it's his, his uh, off shoulder, left shoulder, at least it, that's what it appeared to be. And he appeared to jam the shoulder because he landed on his elbow. Um, you, you, you go in at halftime, there's a chance that it can, it can freeze up on you or get, you know, painful. Um, uh, I think he weathered that, but now you, you get back home and you rest it for 24 hours and in Florida state, you know, if you're not familiar, Florida state works out on Sunday evenings, Sunday afternoon, Sunday evenings, and then takes Mondays off and then comes back to practice on Tuesday mornings. What I worry about is, is what happens when the adrenaline's gone, you've cooled down, you've calmed down. You know, what, what is the significance of that? Is it strictly a stinger or a bruise, or is it something more significant? And then secondly, we'll talk about this again midweek, does that alter how you would potentially use Travis in a game as in Clemson, where if you're, you're, you're systematically trying to hold him out, and, you know, reduce the number of hits, during the season, you're going to pick one or two or three games where you turn him a little more loose, and Clemson would be one of them. Long story short, how how's Travis going to be next Saturday? We'll find out next Saturday, right? I do yep. think Jordan's been pretty candid about uh, what year would it have been, 2021, I guess, when FSU lost. They, they had that comeback in Gainesville. And uh, Travis missed a few series early on because he hurt his shoulder and McKenzie went in and uh, it was a disaster for three series. And then Jordan came back and let him back only to lose by a couple. He's made it a point to say that he realized he felt like he let the team down, like he's got to be in there now. And and, and so I didn't he was going to play against B.C. Now, that is a fine line, because at some point, if you're in there and you can't play anywhere close to your normal self, you're not helping the team. Clearly, that wasn't the case. It was his off shoulder. I'm sure he was in discomfort, but I don't really think it was impacting what he did yesterday. Your point is dead on, though. We'll have to see. And that's kind of what I was saying about Jaheim Bell, too. He was fine to talk to me yesterday after the game. Who knows how sore he is this week as he leads up to the game. And I read a report earlier this morning as, as we're doing this on Sunday morning, but I, I did you? there were a couple of other players that were, were noted as having some discomfort. I, I don't recall the names, but I mean, it seemed like the first game in quite a while when there were a number of uh, folks that were going to have to be evaluated. Um, Tatum Bethune is one, and I was hoping yes, that Bethune, was yes, when yes, he came off. Yes. I, I don't remember who else besides that, but uh, the game actually reminded me of the game at Louisville last year in that it was a dicey game on the road. Jordan Travis got hurt. Of course, in Louisville, that situation, Tate had to come in. Right. But you started getting some defensive guys, Nick. That's the game. Verse got hurt. Tatum Bethune got hurt last year at Louisville. It just had that, you know what it is? It's a conference row game. It's physical. You start getting into conference play, it starts getting more physical, and some guys start going down. I don't think there was major stuff, but you play Clemson this week, so it doesn't have to be major, and it could still have an impact. No question. Uh, you know, a and 90%. I don't know. I don't know about a Keem Dent situation. You know, I mean, we all saw what happened against Southern Miss, and I don't know that that's going to feel that much better this week than it did last week. You know, Tommy, I, I was – I occasionally tell people I, I was never really fast enough to pull a hamstring. <laughs> but, but you know, I've seen it. I've just seen it over the years. And, and, and you know, we use, we use the phrase – and Akeem, if you're listening, don't be mad at me. Uh, we use the phrase, you know, when, when you get outrun by somebody, you pull up lame. You know, that that's the stereotypical thing. However, that that's not what Akeem did. If Akeem truly did tweak his hamstring, Tommy, that's a four to six week recovery period. It doesn't seem like it should be, but it simply is because it can feel fine. And then you go back out there and sprint. And the first time you sprint, 
but because that muscle is weakened, you, you re-aggravate it. And normally you aggravate it worse. And so I, I don't expect, I'll, I'll be shocked and, and pleasantly surprised if Dent is able to go against Clemson. That's why I made the comment last week, Keith, that you look at the schedule and you say, well, you got two weeks off and then a bye week. We're not going to see Akeem until after the bye week earliest. I think That's you're right. Knowing. The, the one guy, I don't know how he could do it, Keith, but Dalvin Cook had hamstring issues and he used to sense it and he would just go and come back and play. And it was like, it's because Dalvin knew where his 90% meter was and he knew 90% was still faster than 99% of the opposition and he could get away with it. Can ever recall doing that? He's like, oh, it's feeling tight. Let me go down here, and I'll come to the next series. I don't know how he did it, but he did. Well, that was the excuse when I got when I quit playing ball and started playing softball. When I would try to run the first place and I wasn't running very fast, that was my excuse. Oh, I felt I felt it. I felt it. I felt it tweaking. I didn't want to damage it. Hand on the handy. <laughs> Every one of us knows what that feels like. We're like, oh, that's good. That's exactly. All right. Um, Keith, I don't think we have anything else. Uh, thanks to BC for setting a school record with 18 penalties because we needed every one of them, including the face mask at the end. Exactly. Um, thanks to the the kicker for missing a kick because that – I don't want to belabor this show much longer, Keith, but BC, when they scored, uh, the time that they decided to go for two, I know there's new math and all this. That wasn't the right time to do it. They needed to kick the PAT to keep it a one possession game. Am I right on that? That's my thought. That's my thought because that way they don't kick the field goal. They maybe go for it. Blah, blah, blah. And by the way, Clemson's kicker missed a PAT yesterday in that game. And he's an all world kicker that's a freshman that's had a rough start to his career. So just saying he might feel a little game pressure next week at Clemson if, uh, if it comes down to that. Well, the thing I'm looking forward to, Tom, and, and, and you know, it, it's just been part of my mentality. Uh, Coach Bowden taught us this. You're going to go into a hostile environment. There'll, there'll be some Florida State folk there, uh, you know, uh, and they'll be loud. But there's going to be a lot more of the opponents. And that's an opportunity. This sounds so crazy, but we would talk about this all the time. I know there's other squads that have talked about it. You know, one of the greatest thrills – is going into an opponent's home field and making them be quiet, making them be quiet. That sounds so silly and far-fetched and crazy, but that is a, that is a thrill, particularly on the defensive side that you just can't imagine. So I'm hoping coach Fuller and coach Shannon and that group after giving up 457 yards to BC goes in and makes death Valley quiet for the majority of that time on Saturday. Well, 2013, they were trying to set the sound record at Clemson and it, it was loud for like a minute and a half and Florida State opened up a can on them and it didn't get loud the rest of the game. This is not the 2013 team for either side. So let's just see what this team can do this week. They can win at Clemson. Uh, I think we all got brought back more to reality after seeing BC and uh, Probably good, by the way. It's amazing how in two weeks you can go as far as we did on uh, nobody's going to beat this team except maybe Georgia. So now we're looking at it and saying, well, every week's going to be a struggle. we got to play at Wake. Miami's looking better. Duke has its best team in 25 years. All of a sudden you realize you got to respect your opponent. That's kind of the bottom line, Keith. Welcome to college football, Tommy. All right. We're, uh, we're out of time, KJ. I always enjoy this. Look forward to catching up later this week. Thanks, folks, for uh, tuning in. We're back on Wednesday. Uh, have a good week as we get set for Clemson. This is Front Run Oles.